This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The complement system, part of the immune system, has long been used as a target for interventions in certain rare diseases. Apellus Pharmaceuticals is developing therapies to treat rare blood and kidney diseases, but by targeting a different part of the complement system than available therapies do today. We spoke to Cedric Francois, co-founder, president, and CEO of Apellus, about the complement system, Apellus's approach, and why he thinks this will lead to better therapies for these rare diseases. Cedric, thanks for joining us. Hi, Daniel. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're going to talk about the complement system, rare autoimmune disease, and and your efforts to target blood and and kidney diseases by inhibiting the complement system. Let's start with the immune system, which people generally think of as consisting of the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. Where does the complement system fit in and what exactly does it do? Thank you for that question. That is actually a a really, really good question um, uh, and one that a lot of of people probably, you know, don't really understand well. So if you ask most immunologists, they will tell you that complement falls in the realm of innate immunity. And the reason for that is that it is a very old system that uh, you know has been well phylogenetically preserved over hundreds of millions of years, um, and that was there before adaptive immunity came into play. And what is the main difference between adaptive immunity and innate immunity? Well, in adaptive immunity, we have T cells and B cells and, and consorts going around in the body and doing what we call immune surveillance. And with immune surveillance, the fundamental premise is that T and B cells check everything in the body to know what is foreign and what is self, and will reject anything that is foreign. Uh, and the adaptive immune system, relatively speaking, is much newer than innate immunity. And before adaptive immunity was there, innate immunity, with complement being one of the most important pieces, was there to take care of business. And innate immunity does not have the benefit of being able to distinguish between cells that are cells that belong to us, and anything that is foreign. Instead, they rely on more non-specific and non-descript danger signals, and when the danger signals are there, complement and innate immunity get activated, and it's more like a shock and awe. It will kill whatever is there. If it happens to be your own body, that is and collateral damage in that particular case. Uh, but the reason why your question is so interesting is that adaptive immunity evolves over about 4 million years, and during that evolution, complement was there to take care of business. 
And therefore, there is a lot of crosstalk between complement and adaptive immunity as well. And quite frankly, we've only begun or started to begin to understand what the implications of that can be in a therapeutic setting. Uh, Paulus is developing APL2 in, in various formulations. What is APL2 and how does it work? So APL2 is a complement inhibitor that acts centrally in this very complex complement cascade. Uh, and by doing that, you should think of an hourglass. All the reasons why complement could become activated can be inhibited by C3, by inhibiting C3. And by doing so, all of the effects of complement activation are also inhibited. So it's a very comprehensive way of inhibiting the complement pathways. And we are developing that through a variety of routes of administration, including intravitreal directly into the eye, or for the purpose of uh, treating eye diseases like macular degeneration, or via subcutaneous injections, where the purpose is to inhibit C3 in the entire body. APL2 is in late-stage development for PNH. What is PNH, and, and how does it manifest itself? How, how does it progress? So PNH is a, uh, a rare disease. Huh? It's an almost rare disease. It's sort of very, very important to, to what we do affects approximately 5,000 people in the United States. And it is a disease that, when left untreated, is lethal in about one person in three over the course of five years. So it's a terrible condition. It is caused by a mutation in the bone marrow. It is not a mutation that you are born with. It is one that typically emerges as you, you know, grow older. Uh, and that mutation gives rise to blood cells including red blood cells, that cannot protect themselves properly against complement activation. And because of that, what happens is that when PNH red blood cells go into circulation in patients and they are exposed to the complement system and to activation, they start quite literally exploding. And when they do, patients are at risk of thrombotic events, and so they can, they can die from literally uh, cerebrovascular accidents, or liver failure, etc. Uh, so it's a lethal disease in that sense. And on the other hand, severe anemia uh, in the presence of repetitive needed transfusions. Now, in PNH, a, a drug came out approximately, you know, a little over 10 years ago now, uh, called Soliris, which is a life-saving drug in PNH. It prevents these thrombotic events from happening, but Soliris does not completely protect red blood cells against complements. And as a consequence, many of these patients continue to be severely anemic and transfusion dependent. And that is something that by doing a more comprehensive inhibition of complement, as we do with APL2, we are hoping to solve. Well, the complement system is a, a biological cascade. You're targeting what you call the, the master switch of the complement system. This is C3. This is mm -hmm. earlier in the cascade than Solaris targets. What's the advantage of doing that? So the advantage, again, is that you get a broader form of inhibition, and that broader form of inhibition can solve for the remaining blood cell loss that is still there in patients with PNH in spite of being treated with Solaris. So it is, uh, you know, by going upstream, you get a more comprehensive inhibition that uh, solves for all of the negative effects that may emerge from inappropriate complement activation. 
When you take a C5 inhibitor like Soliris or some other products that are in development, you cannot have that comprehensive effect and you leave elements exposed. At the same time, does that approach risk dampening the complement system from doing things you'd still like it to do? So that again is an excellent question and you know, safety obviously, uh, you know, with, with the, the broader the inhibition, the more, uh, you know, one should be cognizant of the safety concerns. Um, we have now, and that excludes our phase three clinical work, we have more than 30 patient years of exposure. So think of 30 individuals being treated with complete C3 inhibition in their entire bodies for an entire year. That is how much we currently know about safety, and it looks very promising and good so far. The natural thing we are on the lookout for is whether these patients are exposed to higher rates of infections, and whether when they have an infection, the infection is worse than if it had followed the natural course. And for both of these things, uh, everything looks very promising right now. So we are optimistic and, and looking forward to gathering more data. But so far, it looks like we can do this safely and effectively in men for long periods of time. Some patients have been on dosing for close to three years now. Well, what's the clinical path forward for the drug? So APL2 is, is, has turned out to be a really intriguing molecule. So we have a, a robust proof of concept in PNH. We also established a, an early proof of concept in uh, two additional indications, one called colaglutinin disease, which is another um, blood disease based on inappropriate complement activation. Then a disease called warm antibody autoimmune hemolysis, similar to colaglutinin disease. Uh, we are also testing APL2 in four what we call complement-dependent kidney diseases. Um, and what's really intriguing for us to see as we go kind of through sequential proof of concepts is how this seminal piece of our immunology uh, seems to be so important in many indications and how APL2 hopefully will be of a therapeutic benefit in a range of conditions. Are you doing any head-to-head -head studies with Solaris? We are. So our current phase three clinical trial in PNH is a trial to show superiority over Solaris um, as it relates to a couple of important endpoints, but the most important one being hemoglobin levels. So we want to show that patients who take APL2 end up, have, end up being less anemic and more transfusion independent than patients who are on Soliris or by extension on other C5 inhibitors. I know there are a number of indications you're pursuing where Solaris is approved. There are other indications you're pursuing where it's not. How much of a roadmap is Solaris providing you in terms of clinical development? So Solaris is an interesting roadmap. Um, kind of the, the easy way to think of Solaris is that with APL2, we believe that you can do, um, you know, uh, all the things that you do with Solaris or with AC5 inhibitor plus extra. So in a way, uh, with APL2, you have an opportunity to explore every disease for its dependency on, on inappropriate complement activation. And at the same time, in any indication where C5 inhibitors are efficacious, there is the possibility that with the C3 inhibitor, maybe you can get uh, you know, an improved therapeutic profile as well. And that's obviously key to what we are exploring right now. But you are pursuing a number of indications. One 
is a tropic age-related macular degeneration. This is an eye disease uh, associated with blindness. What's the role of the complement system in this condition? So, um, geographic atrophy, which is the advanced dry form of macular degeneration, is very different from uh, um, uh, from PNH. So, this is not a rare disease. It is a specialty disease, but it is one that affects a million patients in the U.S. alone. It is one of the leading causes of blindness in this country. There are no drugs on the market that can slow down or treat that disease, and everything in clinical development has failed with the exception of APL2 in its very large phase two clinical trial, uh, which we disclosed now approximately almost two years ago, uh, in 246 patients. And what you should envision with uh, geographic atrophy is a forest fire in the retina, where you literally lose your retina in a self-destructive process uh, that will lead two-thirds of patients to lose their driver's license over a two-year period. So that's the functional impact of this disease. And what we do with APL2 is the same drug as the one that we use in PNH and these other rare diseases, but instead of injecting it under the skin, we inject it directly into the eye, either once a month or once every two months. Now that sounds like uh, you know, uh, <laughs> not a very pleasant prospect, but these intravitreal injections, these eye injections, are actually not as bad as they sound. And they are currently the standard of care in what we call the wet form of macular degeneration, which is uh, actually very likely the same disease as the one that we are trying to treat, but one where you also get new blood vessels that grow in the retina that are leaky. And there are drugs on the market that can stop that leakage, drugs like Lucentis, Elia, etc. These are the VEGF inhibitors. Correct, yes. Well, are there other indications where inhibiting the complement system represents a novel approach to treatment, or are these all indications where the role of the complement system has been well understood as the mechanism of the disease? No. We, we are literally only scratching the surface. Um, complement, as, as, a, as, a, as a pathway, if you want, um, is is absolutely extraordinary in terms of what it can do. Um, we're seeing that with new indications, obviously the ones that we are pursuing, but also other companies uh, like Inflavex that are studying diseases like Hidradinitis superativa, uh, there are vasculitis, there are neurodegenerative conditions uh, like amyotrophic, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, all of these conditions have complements written all over it, uh, and it's really, quite frankly, only the beginning, I think, of what we can do with complement inhibitors and many of these indications. Given the broad market potential for APL2, is there a chance to have a, a significant price advantage over Solaris, which is a, a very expensive drug? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we, we will have to see that. Uh, we have not given any guidance as to how, what our pricing strategy will be. Uh, you know, you kind of rightfully pointed out that obviously pricing also goes hand in hand with, you know, what, what is the target population? Is this going to be you know, truly a rare indication or beyond that? Uh, but we are very committed to being transparent on pricing, to being reasonable on pricing, um, and, you know, without providing detail, those will are and will continue to be guiding principles of our company. 
What's the plan for commercialization? Do you, do you expect to build your own sales force, or will you be seeking a partner? Uh, again, there we have not, uh, you know, made clear decisions yet. Um, we are moving forward uh, as, as the backstop scenario that we will actually commercialize on our own, both in geographic atrophy and in the hematological indications, being PNH, colon gluten disease, and warm antibody, autoimmune hemolysis. Um, the, um, you know, assuming that we were to take these latter two into phase three and commercialization. Um, you know, we are uh, exploring partnerships, but, you know, we are not in a hurry. We are going to only do that if we think it is good for us and a healthy partnership and relationship and at the right time on the path towards commercialization. So more to follow on that in the next year, year and a half. Uh, but right now, we uh, are moving forward as if we were going to do it all on our own. Cedric Francois, co-founder, president, and CEO of Palace Pharmaceuticals. Cedric, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.